All right, so let's see here. Let's see if the audio is actually working this time. Hello, guys. Hello, hello. One second. Okay, can you guys hear a block air hunter? You guys are here now. Can you DM me and tell me if you can hear or not? It's working now. Okay, thank God. Okay, Hunter just told me it's working. Thank God. Okay, Velake is uh, requesting to speak. I'm hoping that's a good sign that he can actually hear. Can you hear me, bro? What's up? Yeah, I can hear you now. I think Twitter has. An, I think I think Twitter has an outage though too, so this might oh, not last long. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll try to make do. Our uh, Bobby Cables is back. Sorry, Bobby. So, uh, for those who weren't able to hear, Bobby Cables and I were discussing Super uh, Scott Fishbowl, uh, twelve scoring drafting strategies. Uh, whether or not to take uh, quarterbacks early in Superflex leagues. Bobby, just in general, like, do you play in a lot of Superflex leagues or is Scott Fishbowl like the only time you do it, like two quarterbacks? I, listen to me. Let me just blow your mind because I'm military and I retired. So I'm going to blow your mind to how important this fantasy football is. Like when I Go got, ahead, man. When I got deployed a few times, the only connection that I would have with my boy would be through fantasy football. So there's been a lot of times because when you're not there, you know, it, it, it can affect not being there. So when you can connect and have that connection of fantasy football and you are connecting with your loved ones and you there's there's no listen, fantasy football is bigger. It's not just a fantasy. Like seriously, like you guys, your analysts that you got when you guys put stuff together you're affecting a lot of people. You're bringing a lot of people close through all the hard work that you do. Like, you think it's easy to sit there and come up with a spreadsheet? It's not just like taking a number out of a hat. And, and you know, there's so much analytics that go behind what you do. That's why I respect the hell out of what you're doing. And it just... Thank you, bro. I just want to say thank you for your service, man. And it really is just a hobby for real for me. I mean, obviously, I want to turn it into a full-time job someday. Bro, um, what's your, I, I listen, what you're kicking out, I can see you, I can see you on XM having your own show. I can see you right next Thank to you, Adam man. Rank. Like it's, it. listen, I'm going to tell you something and I'm just going to plug one little thing. That hundreds next to my name is all, is a hundred club. And it's about, it's about a community. We're based off of fitness and we've tapped it. Like, you know, all the people that you guys are drafting that I'm drafting that are physically fit, that have tapped into like this fitness and they've just taken their life back and they're like operating at an elite level everybody can get that every person from the it doesn't you ain't got to go to the gym to be the strongest or the the weakest or you know what i'm saying you can rebuild yourself and i'm just telling you anybody out there that needs fitness diet tips ever since i started tapping back i'm stronger than i was when i was in the military because it's hard, it's dedication, just like you're dedicated to putting these numbers out with these players and giving this content. If you can unlock your uh, that fitness inside of you and you start lighting that fire, it paves the way for your dreams aren't just dreams. You now visualize your dreams and you put them into practice and you make them a reality. And it all goes in here, getting the funk out of your system, eating the right food, clearing your mind. It, between between fantasy football and fitness and you know, we sit there and we're looking at Saquon Barkley and we're like, Barkley, you can do it. You went down three years in a row. How did Barkley get to this level right now? Well, we're about to trust him again. How did Christian McCaffrey get to this level right now? And we're about to trust him again by by believing in stuff, getting in the gym, grinding. And you know what? These superstars, they ain't got no magic beans. We can do what they do. In return, it unlocks life. It's, you know... I can't even tell you how on fire I am for fantasy football and fitness, man. You put them together. Like, listen, I've got this idea to create the fitness bowl 
where if you want to get into the fantasy football league, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show me that you're exercising, taking care of yourself. <laughs> that sounds fun, bro. Good. <laughs> sorry, bro. I'm so fired, bro. There's so there's so many uh, like fat dads out there who would just like never be able to make it in, which I just but they would funny. because it's, listen, but no, no, I love the I love the fire, bro. bro it's, listen, you know these fat dads don't have to be fat dads. These fat dads could make the step. These fat dads could turn McDonald's, <laughs> throw the McDonald's away, start eating some proteins, leans, and greens and water. It's that simple. Yeah. And we're talking yeah, like no, going out, being able to play with your kids, throw the football to your kids, getting involved, being active. Anyway, I don't want to surround this with fitness, but I, dude, I love what you're doing, and I'm just glad you let me come on here and speak. And yes, to answer your question, I've been doing fantasy football. It's it's everything, but you know, I tapped into the fitness side. Let the, you know how Bobby Cables came to be. I was on the show. You never know with Michael Rappaport. And he, he was like, Bobby, what do you do over there? I was like, I'm a cable guy. So they created Bob Cable, Bobby Cables, him and John Hanson. And it was all about negative. And I was so one-sided in my mind thinking like, okay, Barkley's going to run for 30 yards today. And I'm like, no, nah, bro, he's going to run for 130. What are you talking like? And it was just so negative. And now my mind has been so open. I'm more perceptive. I'm listening to people and not just like, you know, shunning you because of your idea. But anyway, you keep rocking, bro. I'm just going to keep listening. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, yeah, no worries about plugging your stuff, bro. I, I appreciate it. I think your fire is crazy. And thank you so much for all the love and support, man. I really appreciate it. Hate you with the follow back. Thank you for being here. Uh, I, I seriously, I mean, not to be corny, but, like, I feel like the people who are here are, like, the people who, like, actually support my shit. And, and I really appreciate y'all. Like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I have, like, 10,000 followers or whatever. But, like, the people who, like, the 20 people who come out uh, in the spaces every night and hang out, come up and talk with me, like, those are the people who are, like, family, man. So I really appreciate you guys coming out and being here. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Blocky, did you have a question or did you just re uh, request to speak to tell me the audio was working? Yeah, I was, I was just telling you the audio was working. So if you need to kick me out, <laughs> All it's right, fine. Uh, <laughs> no, you're good. You don't, need to, you don't need to leave or anything. You can hang out, <laughs> do whatever. Or you can just like hit the like return to listening button if you want to. If not, it's For whatever. Sure. Uh, Aiden, what's up, man? Well, <clears throat> I, know, I know you're the uh, rookie wide receiver lover. So... Last night I sent out this tweet. I'm like, man, I'm starting to come around on the idea of Chris Olave finishing as the rookie wide receiver one. I didn't love him as a prospect. You know, he doesn't really bring too much juice with the ball in his hands. He's kind of got that beta profile, but he seems like such a safe bet to produce at the NFL level. He's an awesome route runner. Do you have a tweet that I can pin in the space that you're referring to? Um, or Let me see. Let me go find it. Just I don't know how you finish just DM it to me if you find it anyway. Keep going. Just keep going. Don't, yeah, don't even worry about it. But he just seems like he's in this fantastic situation, right, where he's this downfield winner. That's where he's going to make a lot of his plays. It's going to be those chunk pickups down the field. And he's paired up with Jameis Winston, who's ranked top 10 in deep targets four times in his career. And he was even fourth in ADOT last year playing a quote-unquote safer style with the Saints. The tweet is uh, pinned at the top now for y'all who want to look. Go ahead. But, you know, when I look at it, too, Michael Thomas, I'm concerned about that high ankle sprain. He's nearly 30 years old. I know a lot of doctors out there have said that, you know, when you play through these high ankle sprains, you're typically never 100%. That doesn't fully heal ever again. And I'm scared about the fact that we really haven't seen Thomas in what feels like two years, basically two seasons. So I am nervous about Michael Thomas. And to counteract that, I'm higher on Chris Olave uh, specifically for this season. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a great point. I feel like, honestly, that Chris Olave is an underrated rookie wide receiver. Even in my eyes, honestly, I've been, I've been so entranced with uh, Traylon Burks and Garrett, uh, not Garrett Wilson, and Drake London. Well, and Garrett Wilson, actually, 
Um, but I loved, you know, honestly, like every single one of the top five rookie wide receivers drafted this season, I absolutely adore on film. You know, we're talking about uh, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, mm. you know, uh, Traylon Burks, Olave, Jamison Williams. They're all studs, in my opinion. I think that Chris Olave, arguably, I think you guys might have heard this throughout the draft process, but like the words to describe uh, Chris Olave was always smooth, like a silky route runner. Uh, he's very pro ready, in my opinion. It doesn't really matter. The wide receiver as it's like a quarterback evaluation or anything like that but the thing i like about chris alave he's a very polished route runner i feel like he's really ready to go in year one and produce at a high level you know um the the pro comp for me I, again i'm no scout right but i do do my due diligence and watch film on these prospects uh when they're coming out of college a good bit i mean i watched a lot of games of chris alave when he was coming out but my comp for him in terms of like play style is a little bit of, i see a little bit of tyler lockett in this game Love that might it. not be that might not be like the sexiest comparison in the world, but like Tyler Lockett is a very, very good real life NFL wide receiver who can do a little bit of everything. Great route running skills, great hands, and, and you know I feel like the smooth, you know, terminology, the you know, the metaphor for for Tyler Lockett, I feel like that makes sense to Chris Olave. I feel like that he can come in year one. Michael Thomas is not going to be one hundred percent this season, uh, you know, and for fantasy, you know, it's baked into Michael Thomas's price, sure, but Michael Thomas, if he could easily not play a little bit this season too like it's not just i don't think he's not going to be 100 on the field play it wouldn't surprise me if he missed a, a couple games to start the year just to make sure the saints are ultra ultra conservative because they have jarvis landry and chris Olave now they have no need to rush my uh, rush michael thomas back especially at the start of the year training camp etc and even if he does start week one week two whatever he's gonna be super rusty like aiden said like we haven't seen high level michael thomas in two years now. So, like, it's going to be shaky. And Chris Olave, low-key, could have a very, very nice rookie-wide receiver season, especially paired up with Jameis Winston down there in New Orleans, who supported several top-tier fantasy-wide receivers over his career. Mike Evans back in time, uh, back when he was in Tampa Bay is a prime example of that, and Chris Godwin. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Olave. Uh, Bobby did you? Yeah, did you, see, um, did you see when he was running his routes a few times that they posted a video? He was rounding them. So if you take a look at Jerry Judy or somebody like that that prides herself on being an amazing route runner, stop, go, boom, bang. He he was rounding. So I think I think you know I I think you're absolutely right. They're not gonna just they're definitely not gonna just be like, hey, we're gonna give you ten thousand passes this game. Like, and then on top of that, I mean I don't know what the statistical stat is, but it's not like he's got the most accurate quarterback in the NFL throwing to him right now i mean uh, i don't know still in that same yeah still in, the, in that same like discussion about olave like um like some one of the cbs guys today on the pod just said something like how is how is thomas still on pup like how like it's like we've already kind of said a little bit like he, it's been two years how is he still on pup like there's there's got to be still something wrong and there was even some like disgruntlement a little bit, bit there i think it was last year um, and I don't know if you guys saw the headline about Jameis today or just the Saints in general, but um, from Established and Run podcast, uh, Nick Underhill, who's like with New Orleans.football, uh, said he expects the Saints to, quote, implement an open wide receiver-based offense with three wide receivers, one tight end, and one running back. And I, I also just saw today somewhere, and I, of course I can't find the source now, so it might not be credible, but um, they're saying that Kamara might not face any suspension. No, um, I've actually heard that too. Actually, um, 
he's doing a little bit of finagling with his his legal team to try to push the case back to next season. Um, yeah, so he can and, it can, and it can be and it can be pushed back. I've I've been hearing so um, yes, like I totally we'll agree. soon. Yeah. Okay, I just want to bring your attention to something real quick. Okay, go to the tweet I just pinned at the top of the screen there. Click on that. That is uh, from Matt Harmon's Reception Perception, which is an amazing fantasy football premium subscription service. He's awesome. Uh, So big shout out to Matt Harmon. But, okay, if you click on that graph, this is his success percentages by route. Uh, And that chart is damn near entirely green. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen those charts, uh, but it does not normally look like that. There's usually a lot of yellow, a lot of red in there, and some green. Uh, he's a very, very well-rounded, well-refined, polished route runner. Uh, very smooth guy. Again, like that's always the word for him. I mean, 100% success rate on comebacks, 81% on outs, 91% on corners, 65% success on nine routes or go routes, 80% of success rate on posts, 73% on digs, 85% on curls, and 84% on slants. I mean, he's a very, very good wide receiver, and I think that he potentially could have a really big role in the New Orleans Saints offense this year. And it's interesting to me because I feel like the Saints as an organization, uh, you know, has a lot of big-name power in terms of a prospect landing there. But I feel like he's kind of going a little bit under the radar right now in terms of big, yeah. like, mainstream media coverage in terms of his hype for his rookie season. And I don't really think that any wide receivers have had a ton of media coverage yet because, you know, we haven't really hit training camp or preseason. Uh, you know, once one of these guys starts to ball out in training camp and preseason, I'm sure they're all their draft stocks will either rise or fall depending on how the media goes. But... You know, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about Traylon Burks a lot in a negative way or a bad way. Or sorry, negative way or a positive way uh, for me, but positive, obviously. A lot of people have been talking about Drake London with Marcus Mariota. I haven't seen a ton of Chris Olave discussion. Um, and I feel like he is quietly kind of set up for a big year. Yeah, and even, so if, you're look, if, even if you're looking at beyond, um, you know, this year, if you're thinking about, you know, dynasty or keeper leagues, like... Jameis Winston, like, we know what kind of quarterback he is. He's a glass cannon. Um, uh, but so they might be looking to, you know, part ways with him if he doesn't, like, work out this season. Um, he has – they have a potential out with him in 2023, you know. So they could be getting a really nice quarterback next year. And so Olave could have, you know, a really, like, like high-success quarterback this year that's a little volatile and an even better one the next year. Jarvis Landry is a free age will be a free agent in 2023. He's up there in age. He's not going to be taking a lot away from Olave. And then right. Thomas is also the potential out is actually this year. So if something happens with Thomas this year, um, they could actually move him. Uh, that is a that fantastic be. point that I want to highlight there. If Chris Olave, you know, comes in this season, Michael Thomas start gets off to a shaky start, which I think is projected at this point, right? Again, I've been saying this a lot during my spaces every day this week, so bear with me for a moment for the folks who haven't been here. I work for SportsInjuryCentral.com, operating their social media, which is owned and operated by Pro Football Doc, uh, who you know is a former NFL team uh, doctor. And Chris Olave is primed for a good opportunity to start the year because Michael Thomas is projected from our team of Pro Football Doctors to not be off to a hot start to the season, coming off his injuries. You know, I, I, it, it makes a lot of sense for Chris Olave to come out ball out early and often in his rookie year and the team sitting back this offseason looking like hey you know we have our stud guy we have our stud one in chris Olave. we can go let mt walk use that draft capital on other sides of the ball or, or other positions 
and you know we can go draft or a guy to replace Michael Thomas's production in the second or third round of the NFL draft, which is a you know a very NFL GM way of thinking, right? And I'm just trying to put myself in the front office's shoes. I feel like that's a very realistic situation for the future of the team. Absolutely, and like who like who else is going to be stealing stuff from him? Like it's kind of crazy, like how they've turned their wide receiver corpse around. If when you think about like or just the receivers in general, like you think about last year and who they had at receiver, and it was like a combination of Kamara, and then it was Taysom Hill. And then it was, like, Deontay Harris, now Deontay Hardy, and, like, some others, like Trot and, Callaway. you know, Juwan Johnson, Callaway. Um, and now it's, like, I mean, Jarvis Landry is a little bit more his name now, like, that you're basing it on that. You're not right. really basing it on stats. But as a wide receiver three, like, this is a really good offense. And if everyone stays healthy, like, it, they could cannibalize each other. But the upside for Olave this year and then moving forward is similar to how I see the upside for David Bell. Um, it, so that, that's another person that I'm looking at, too, mm-hmm. in, in for the same kind of reasons. Yeah. What okay. do you guys think about um, Taysom Hill? Is he the, is he going to do the Tim Tebow nah, thing? Or he's, he... de- he's dead in the water, bro, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep that you, quick. No, but but I, you do don't actually, think... I do want to move on to some other questions, if you don't mind, Bobby. Right, gotcha. A couple of people who have been waiting. Appreciate you guys. That was a good conversation about Alave. Uh, Hunter has been waiting patiently, and then LPG will throw it to you in a moment. Uh, Hunter, you there, man? Yeah, I love the Chris Alave talk. Uh, speaking more on that Saints offense, do you like the value that Alvin Kamara? I see him going in the second, late second, sometimes third round. I just that looks like amazing value to me. I'm happy to sweat out those first couple of weeks because when you get him back, that's a clear RB one. I mean, we've yeah, seen I it. totally agree with that, Hunter. And I've said this before, but I think that drafting a first, a wide receiver in the first and or second round in fantasy football drafts this season is an excellent strategy. Uh, obviously, again, you don't want to go into your, dra- uh, your fantasy football drafts with a strategy, strategy set in stone because things are very volatile. Things change all the time. League to league, scoring setting to scoring setting, etc. Um, but I think that if you can get a Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams in the first round of your fantasy drafts and then draft a guy like Alvin Kamara in the third or Brees Hall in the fourth or Travis Etienne, excuse me, etc., uh, you're off to a really solid start and giving a really good positional advantages. And then you can come back in the middle rounds and grab guys who, in my rankings, are top 12 players, right? And, like, as we mentioned earlier, like, it was a point was brought up that, you know, Alvin Kamara can, you know, get around the suspension altogether. And if you're drafting right now for redraft leagues, Alvin Kamara is an incredible value. Obviously, as it gets closer to, you know, uh, you know middle of August, September, when, you know, the season's really starting for the NFL, we're going to know if there is actually suspension or not for Alvin Kamara, but for right now, there is none. And I feel like there hasn't been anything that crazily rumored in a, in a long time for Kamara. The news has been a little dry on him, which is a good thing, right? You're going to want that to stay quiet. You're going to want that to kind of you know keep getting pushed and further and further away uh, in terms of the value. So um, I really think that he is a great building block for your teams in the third round of your fantasy football drafts right now. Start with wide receiver or tight end or maybe both. You know, start with maybe... Let's say you're at like the like the 106 and you can start off with Justin Jefferson and then come back at the 206 or sorry 207 and then grab like a Travis Kelsey and then you know or like uh um uh, Mark Andrews and then come back in the third round and then grab Alvin Kamara if he slips there. I mean that's a very very good start to your team with the three elite players at uh, their position who could easily be top 5 at all three. I mean that is a a very amazing, you know, foundation for your teams to go off of more upside picks in the middle rounds 
grabbing the you know the the running backs like Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, etc., uh, and go from there. It it really is a very valid strategy in my opinion. Aiden, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think Alvin Kamara is the definition of why you can't come into a fantasy draft with a set strategy because his ADP is fluctuating draft to draft. And all of a sudden, if he's sitting there at the end of the third round, I'm extremely intrigued to take that. I know some people are out here saying, well, yeah, the suspension, and I want to get a year ahead of Kamara rather than being a year late. Obviously, he is 27, but he's never been used like a workhorse back, you know, between the tackles as this, you know, the first and second down grinder touches. He's more of an open space back. He's proven to have great durability. I know, again, he is 27 years old. It won't last forever, but you're probably getting an RB1 at the end of round three. And if he only misses two games or he misses no time at all, that's a bargain. I totally agree with that. I want to bring up the point that you just mentioned there that he's never really been a true workhorse back, right? I mean, ever, ever since, you know, he's really risen to fantasy stardom in New Orleans. I mean, think about the prime, you know, prime Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara days. Like, even back then, he was a stud for fantasy football and he had a very good RB2 for fantasy playing right behind him. Like, he doesn't need to see you know, Najee Harris level work to be good. He can be good just because he gets all the targets in the world. He's basically a wide receiver in the backfield. He is, uh, I think he's the best receiving back in the NFL, honestly, still. Um, he's an incredible talent, and I think that Alvin Kamara is an, an amazing value in, in the back half of, you know, the earlier rounds in fantasy football drafts right now. Because even if he does miss, like, four games or whatever, it's not going to kill you. Because when he mm. comes back... Yeah. I feel like he's good enough to make up ground. You know what I mean? Like It's not like DeAndre Hopkins to me where, you know, he was an elite player. He fell off a little bit last year. We don't really know exactly what we're getting when he comes back. He could be great. He could be meh. But Alvin Kamara, you know what you're getting. When he comes back from that suspension, he's going to come in and be an absolute bona fide stud for your teams. So if you can have an RB that you can stash for a few weeks and build around that, you know, supplement the production enough to, like you know, squeak out a 500 record while he's gone, I feel like that's a really, really solid thing to do. I think that Kamara poses a really nice value in his price right now in redraft leagues. Absolutely. All right, uh, thank you so much for that question. Uh, who was next? I think it was LPG and then over to Adam. Thank you so much for waiting, man. Hey, what's going on, everybody? How you doing, man? How you doing good? Hey, I just wanted to uh, chime in a little bit on the Kamara thing. I've been involved in my career in like criminal investigations and stuff and had a conversation with uh, one of the Esquires on Twitter earlier, and one of the things that got brought up is that it literally does nothing to help Kamara to take a guilty plea on on the first. It's very likely that he has a plea deal already in place at this point where he can take it at any time. And if he chooses to go not guilty on the first, they're not going to take that plea deal off the table. You know what I mean? He could literally take that plea deal the day before the trial starts in six months from now. So, yeah, I mean, just to break that down a little bit more, I feel like what you're saying here is just to dumb it down a little bit because I feel like people are understanding, but just make sure and make sure I'm understanding. And quite frankly, so, you know, what you're saying is he could, you know, he can plead, uh, plead non guilty, effectively pushing the trial back to a later date, avoiding the suspension and then take the plea deal. That is the bargain he's looking for at a later date while avoiding the suspension and still getting the plea deal. that helps him in court. Correct? Pretty much. You know, the, I think the general understanding is that. If you take the plea deal now, then you get the better deal because you're taking it now. You're avoiding the trial course, and things like course. that. That's why they want you to take the plea deal. But the plea deal doesn't ever really go away. You know, for him, if he pleads not guilty, the, whatever plea deal he has on the table today is still probably going to be available to him in six months when it's time for the trial. So 
it benefits him more to say not guilty today, wait six months, and then plead guilty. He's still in the same position, if not better, because the suspension's been pushed off a year. You know what I mean? You never know what happens. Yeah, and if you don't mind refreshing my memory, how serious are his charges? Like what like for like in terms of the criminal sense, like is he gonna face anything too severe? I believe they're felony charges, last I checked. Okay, so that's not great, obviously. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that in the state of Georgia, a felony charge is punishable by at least a year in prison um, and at least a $1,000 fine. So, um, you know, a misdemeanor would definitely be better. However, uh, yeah, they're not good charges, that's for sure. But, you know, for the plea deal, is, okay. he may be able to plead down to a misdemeanor where it doesn't show up on his record as bad, doesn't prevent him from owning firearms, things like that. So... But just sure. something to kind of think about for his perspective, it does him absolutely no good to take a guilty plea. And I hear a lot of people are like, well, he just wants to get it past him. You know what I mean? He just wants to move on with the season and stuff. It does him no good to take a plea deal on August the 1st that, you know, to plead guilty. So and is that when he needs to do it? Just you keep saying the first, the first, like, is that, is there like a, a crucial oh, deadline yeah, yeah. here so that he needs to take August, action by? August the 1st, first is his next hearing date. Uh, it's where he's going to be able to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. Um, so I'm gotcha, referring yeah. to Okay, I wasn't here. familiar that that was happening, so I appreciate oh, the Oh, yeah, sorry. I should have clarified that. Um, no, yeah. no, you're totally fine. I appreciate the insight. I, I did not know that at all. Yeah, August the 1st, he has a hearing where he has to enter his plea of guilty or not guilty. It does him absolutely no good in his case to enter a guilty plea, even if it does get it past him. Because I know everybody's like, he's going to plead guilty, and then they're going to suspend him. Traditionally, the NFL doesn't act on a suspension until after any kind of criminal prosecution has been handled. Right. If he took that the plea sense. deal, if he took the plea deal, then they could suspend him. But if he pleads okay. not guilty, he pushes off the trial. It won't happen until after that trial, but whatever benefit he got from taking the plea deal on August the 1st, it'd still be there in six months. You see what I'm saying? So it hey, does totally absolutely no good to take the plea on August the 1st, which makes me believe He's going to push this off. You know, I, I fully believe that he's going to be here this year. That's a great insight. I really appreciate that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's all I got. I just wanted to add it. Oh, no, sorry. I'm uh, blocking as his hand raised. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, regardless of whether or not he's going to take it and he's going to be available, like, if I'm drafting tomorrow or, you know, sometime, you know, during training camp before the first or whatever, I'm still taking Ingram in whatever round I can get him, which is super late in redraft because no one's taking him. And I kind of wanted to transition a little bit, if that's all right, in terms of running backs and just targets in the later rounds that no one's paying any attention to and no one's drafting, especially in redraft. Like Mark Ingram, no one's drafting him. Damian Pierce, no one's drafting him. Tyler Algier, no one's drafting him. These are all people that could have starting jobs for a certain amount of games. I want to bring up two guys there from backfields that you just highlighted. My favorite guys, uh, the target of those guys you mentioned, well, one you didn't. Uh, for Texas, the sorry, not Texas, <laughs> for Texas. For, the <laughs> for Texans, all of Texas. Jesus Christ. Yeehaw. For the Texans, I like to target Marlon Mack personally. I feel like that, I don't know. I know he's had a rough injury, um, but I feel like when he was healthy and on the Colts, he was a good player. And I feel like everyone else on the Houston Texans right now is either a bad player or they're extremely unproven, right? And I feel like you could take the upside shot on Damian Pierce, who's the rookie, right? Might, you know, have a little bit more thunder, you know, lightning in the bottle. Might have a little bit more juice uh, in terms of, you know, explosiveness as a runner. But I also think that you can make the case 
that Marlon Mack being the veteran, being the guy we've seen produce before, is the safer choice. And, and I, so I like him. And I also want to just add for the Texans' backfield that I feel like we as a fantasy community and people who play fantasy football are almost completely ignoring them. And I feel like that's a big mistake. Um, partially, I feel like it's because we don't know what the hell's going on. And I feel like that's totally justifiable, right? But you also, you know, you look over on the East Coast and you see the Miami Dolphins backfield, which I feel the exact same way about. We have no idea what the hell is going on over there. You have Chase Edmonds. You have Sony Michelle. You have um, someone else I'm forgetting. Miles Gaskin. Um, Selvin Ahmed. Others. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a crap there ton of viable running back options in Miami. We see, have no I, idea who the hell is going to come out on top over there. I would guess Chase Edmonds, but it could be anybody. If I like, if I woke up three months from now and you told me that Raheem Moster was being really extremely productive in Miami, I would believe you. If you told me that Sony Michelle was being productive, I would believe you. He showed that he showed nicely with the Rams over the last season. Um, you know, I think that that backfield is wildly unpredictable, but so is the one in Houston. And sure, Houston's team is worse, right? They don't, you know, have the upside of the Miami Dolphins offense this season. But that being said, there is going to be fantasy points scored from this backfield. Somebody's going to be fantasy relevant. Even if they suck, even if they're scoring 10 points per game, there's going to be value there. And I feel like we're completely hands-off. We're not even paying attention. When's the last time you saw a tweet saying, hey, take a good look at Marlon Mack or Rex Burkhead or Damian Pierce in Houston? I haven't seen one in a long, long time. And I'm not. that's not me saying, you know, like that's not like me earlier when we were talking about Chris Olave saying I haven't seen a lot of hype for him. Because I have. I mean, I've seen tweets about Chris Olave, don't get me wrong, but just not as much as other prospects. I feel like nobody is talking about the Houston Texans running backs. And sure, it's for good reason, right? Like I mentioned, it's not a sexy yeah. backfield. There's not really a clear-cut guy. It's pretty complicated. But I feel like there is value to be had there. So my two my two guys there are uh, Marlon Mack and Damian Pierce, or Damian Pierce. I don't know how you pronounce his name. Apologies. Uh, but then in, in Atlanta, I definitely like taking some shots later on Tyler Algier. Uh, rookie running back for the Atlanta Falcons. I feel like, again, you know, the running back in front of him, if you want to call him a running back, is Cordero Patterson, who I think is, you know, deployed more of an offensive weapon and an offensive X-factor kind of role in this Atlanta Falcons offense. And, you know, at his older age, I don't really think they want to play him like a running back, right? I feel like last year they kind of were forced into that role with Mike Davis being so bad as a starting running back for the Atlanta Falcons. I think they want to do more of a Debo Samuel-y kind of thing with Cordero Patterson, right? You know, flex him out wide, give him screen passes, you know, take a toss out of the backfield, but not, like, run between the tackles. And I feel like that that's what Tyler Algier could be doing for this Atlanta Falcons offense. And at his current draft cost, of probably going inside of the top 40 running backs off the top of my head. Um, he poses really nice upside. He's, you know, a top 30 top 24 maybe-ish guy in points per game if, you know, he falls in the end zone, gets a large chunk of work out of his Atlanta Falcons backfield. Uh, you know, also, I think to also, um, you know, add to his case, um, it's known that a rushing quarterback, a guy who's, you know, good at getting rushing yards, opens the rushing lanes up more for the running back and usually boosts their yards per carry numbers. I mean, look at, uh, you know, Miles Sanders in Philadelphia last year. We all can agree that Miles Sanders is not a top 10 running back in the NFL, right, in terms of pure yeah. talent. He was top 10 in rush uh, yards per carry last season. I think he was seventh in the entire NFL. He was like 5.7 yards per carry or 5.5 yards per carry, which is an absolutely ludicrous number. And that's largely in part of, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts' rushing ability. And I feel like if you want to kind of equate that to the Atlanta Falcons' backfield and their running game situation, uh, you know, you have Marcus Mariota there who has some serious wheels. And, you know, he's shown that throughout his career. 
obviously he's a little bit older now. I'm sure he doesn't run as much as he did when he was a rookie, but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, he still has yeah. a dual threat ability that could open up more running lanes. So I definitely like taking shots on him as well. And, and there are probably other comparable backfields, but I think those three are just like interesting ones because, and, and out of the three of them, I think it's weird because the Dolphins guys are all going higher and the Falcons guys in general, like Cordell Patterson's going higher than any of the Texans guys. And I honestly feel as though the Texans running back room and just the situation for all their players is a little bit more like, um, I guess like solid because with the Dolphins, we don't completely know what's going on with this team. Like it's not as though they have a platoon of running backs and then like kind of just one guy at wide receiver, like a Debo or like, you know, an Ayuk. Absolutely. I mean, they have, they have all these running backs. He's coming from Shanahan's system. So is he going to be Shanahan? Is he going to do his own thing? They have Tyreek Hill and they pay him so much money. They have Jalen Waddle, who I hate that they, you know, signed Tyreek Hill because for Waddle's sake, but they have Gesicki. They, you know, I, I don't know what they're doing. They have so many options and I just don't know if I trust the fact that like, this is all going to come together in this first year with him under, you know, you know, running things. And then you have the Falcons who like, I don't know that Mariota or Ritter is going to be the quarterback. Heck, I saw something that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo could be the quarterback. So I, I honestly don't means. think Atlanta goes and gets Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think so. But I, feel like, I feel like it's very but likely you see like a, a direct even split in games this season started for, you know, Mariota and Ritter. Actually, that's not even mathematic, mathematically possible anymore now that I realize. But, you know, I, I feel like it's very likely we see Mariota start like 10 and Ritter start like 7 or, you know, something like that. Um, right. I definitely think that Mariota starts the bulk of the games this year. But, you know, if, if Mariota tweaks a hammy or something with that explosive play style, it would not surprise me if Ritter stepped up. Right. I, I, I am going to pivot off this real quick because we only have eight minutes left and we'll get some more questions. For sure. But I really appreciate that question. I think that was uh, an excellent point uh, to be made about these running backs, with uh, these backfields with value. And actually, after we hop off the show here, I want to do a little bit more digging into that. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Okay. okay. Adam has been waiting very patiently. Uh, thank you so much for waiting, Adam. If you're still there, uh, go right ahead with your question, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, appreciate you. Um, glad to, you know, I really enjoy this, and everybody brought up a lot of good points, good things. Thank too. you so much, man. I'm enjoying it, too. I'm having a lot of fun. You know, just feeding our knowledge as uh, experts in the industry is what we want to believe, right? Um, so one of the things I've been looking at a lot is receiving first downs for rookies and how it correlates to superstar status. Uh, through the years, you know, we've seen Justin Jefferson. He came out like a beast. I think he had 58 first down receptions his rookie year. Uh, followed it up in year two with 75. Uh, last year, Waddle had 59, so he actually beat out Justin Jefferson. I do think he's going to have a regression a little bit because of Tyreek Hill, but I don't know if it's going to be that much because Jefferson also had Thielen involved as well. Uh, one of the things I was looking at is which receiver in this class do you think will lead the receivers in first-down receptions? Sorry, did you say first-down receptions? Yes. Uh, wow. Okay, so you're looking for more of a chain mover. Tough one. I'll give you. I'll give you a. I'll give you two. I think it could be Chris Olave yeah. or Garrett Wilson, and I think those two are at the top of my list. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. So, like, 
I think Drake London could be too, actually. Um, but I feel like his volume could be lower than some of those other guys. I think that Garrett Wilson has a skill set similar to a Justin Jefferson. Don't li- don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not calling him Justin Jefferson. But no. coming out of the player and his play style is Justin Jefferson-esque. He's a very well-rounded, balanced wide receiver who can do a little bit of everything at a really high level. Um, so I think he, you know, he could be a really consistent chain mover for the New York Jets offense. I also, again, you know, we talked a lot about Chris Olave earlier. If Michael Thomas is not 100%, I could easily see Chris Olave being the heart of this uh, New Orleans Saints passing offense. Uh, so I really think that those two guys are the ones at the top of my list. Traylon Burks is my boy, and I feel like he has a huge opportunity role. But I feel like Robert Woods is going to be more of the chain mover in this offense. And that A.J. – no, sorry, not A.J. Brown. Traylon Burks is going to be playing the A.J. Right. Brown, more explosive, take a take a drag route to the house kind of role in this offense. So less of a chain mover, more of like an explosive game record kind of role. Uh, let's toss it to LPG real quick with his hand raised, and we'll throw it over to like Aiden or something to see their, his inside as well. Thank you so much for the question, Adam. I really appreciate yeah. you being here. Thanks, Thank you so much. Hey, I just wanted to throw out the name Jahan Dotson a lot. We're hearing a lot of good stuff out of camp. That's a great Terry one. Terry McLaurin's going to be the number one in that offense. And Dotson's got an opportunity to come in and immediately get that number two spot on the team, I think. And, you know, we know Carson Wentz. He doesn't like to throw very far. He likes to kind of hit those middle routes. And yeah, they might end up going to Dotson if you're talking about those first downs. I really like that point. I just want to add this real quick before I toss it to Aiden. So apologies, Aiden. But, uh, he, you know, he also has a really well-rounded route-running, you know, skill-based skill sets, you know, Jahan Dotson. I really liked his film coming out as a prospect. And I think that, you know, he could be more of the chain mover uh, guy in that offense. Like you mentioned, you know, Terry McLaurin, while he is a chain moving guy, he has a bit more of a, you know, downfield, go up and get a deep ball kind of tendency. So, you know, having the guy who can move the chains might allow them to deploy McLaurin downfield more. So, and also just in general, I think hot, the Jahan Dotson is a really, really good value right now at his ADP. Top 15 draft capital in the NFL draft, good film. Uh, good opportunity role as a wide receiver too in that offense this season. Aiden, what are you what are you thinking, man? Oh, Jahan Dotson's that one guy that got drafted in the first round that was like, yeah, no, I I personally didn't see it with him. Yeah, he was a second rounder for me as well. I just want to say that. Right, and when I look at Dotson, I think he has a good opportunity to fill in the slot role, but probably not much more. Obviously, he's a smaller receiver. He doesn't bring too much juice with the ball in his hands just because he goes down on first contact. I didn't quite see the 4-4 speed on film. He struggled to stack opposing receivers. He got jammed at the line sometimes. Um, So those are all some concerns for me, but he absolutely is a good route runner. I see him succeeding in that slot role. I mean, Terry McLaurin's this elite wide receiver one. He demanded the second highest double team rate in the NFL last season. So if he keeps demanding that type of attention, Jahan Dotson over the middle of the field, he could be a chain mover for the commanders. And he's got great hands. Yeah. Very good hands. Probably the best in class. In my opinion, at least. I think he has the best hands in the class. I agree uh, with you. I just wanted to add something and circle back just on that first down uh, discussion real quick. Adam, if you're still there, um, I don't know, you know what prompted that question, but I was listening to some CBS podcasts, catching up on them this week, and one of the most recent ones, they talk about the first down receptions and the importance of them for fantasy, so it uh, might be a good listen for you. Yeah, I'm still on. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely take a listen to it. Uh, yeah, it's just something I've been toying around with for the past couple of years is the significance that they play. Because when you look at the first down leaders, the top 20, it's the same names. But we have rookies every now and then pop up, and then they're there again the next year and the next year. So it shows they have the trust with that quarterback. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, we only have two minutes left, so I want to toss up some other questions. Thank you so much for that, Adam. I really appreciate you waiting and asking a great question. Uh, we'll toss it to Jose and then over to Dustin, and then we'll wrap things up. I won't cut you guys off on the time limit. I want to get make sure your your questions are answered. I, I just wanted to, I just want to make a point in regards to all the Mar- Marcus Mariota talking. You know, I'm a specifically Italian fan, so I see Marcus Mariota play hands um, first, like you know, firsthand. Watched all his games with the Titans. I think the big winner with him starting at quarterback for the Falcons is going to be Kyle Pitts. Uh, I think if you look at Delaney Walker's stats with Marcus Mariota under center, I think he was a top. Some will say seven fantasy tight end the first three years with Marcus Mariota. So I think Kyle Pitts is going to win big. And I think uh, Drake London has a great chance with those first-time receptions with Mariota at quarterback. That's a great point about Delaney Walker, man. I really appreciate that. I, I really do like Kyle Pitts a lot this season. He's my tight end three, which uh, I think is a, a, a one spot higher than consensus on him this year. Uh, I have him over guys like Darren Waller, Kyle uh, – <laughs> not Kyle Pitts, uh, George Kittle, and uh, Dalton Schultz. So I, I think that, you know, he's in for a big year this season, and I really like that point. Thank you so much for that question, buddy. Or not question, that comment. Uh, Dustin, we'll wrap things up with you, man. How you doing? Hey, doing well, man. Hey, no I'm doing great. You have me on. Uh, hey, uh, just to, to tag along on the the wide receiver talk and the, the rookies who we think that could be tops in either first down or just reception work as well. So a name I didn't hear mentioned was Jalen Tolbert with the Dallas Cowboys. I think I, that's an interesting that... one for me, just real quick, because I like his talent a lot. I think he's a deep sleeper, but I don't know if the role's going to be big enough for him right. this year. It's the only problem. Dynasty, I love him, though. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. It's, it, so your reservations on that, are they purely just based on the role? Because we've seen, I mean, obviously, if you just want to do it one for one, I'm not calling Jalen Tolbert, you know, like stepping into the C.D. Lamb role and Lamb into the right. you know, Amari Cooper role. But I think with Gallup being out, and then honestly, I think it's it's probably more beneficial for him to only have competition from a guy like James Washington, who we never really saw produce. Um, I, I think Tolbert, especially with the draft capital, might be someone who's worth a, a closer look, you know, uh, at, towards those later rounds in your draft to, to have this a solid, you know, whether it's a 2A, 2A, B option and, uh, you know, previously proven top five offense in the NFL. That's the one thing I want to add. I think that's what you just said that actually makes my point for me. I think I view him more as a 2B option, personally. Right. I feel like while Michael Gallup's Gallup, what the hell do I have an accent? Michael Gallup <laughs> is going to be, you know, not 100% this year. I still think that Michael Gallup has a secure role on the team. Sure, not going to be, you know, it's going to be dialed back from last season, right? I totally understand that. But I actually do want to say, Dustin, I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I try to keep my bias out of my analysis as much as possible, right? I hate Chase Claypool this season, just to make sure I'm confirming that. Um, I got to. But that being said, I do think that James Washington is pretty underrated as a player. I think that on field, he has really nice hands. He, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's a he's a solid NFL wide receiver. I'm not gonna think he's gonna, you know, be a big time fantasy contributor. Like, holy shit, go pick James Washington up off the waiver wire. That's not gonna happen. But I don't think that he's a pushover, and I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, pushed down this depth chart immediately to year one Jalen Tolbert. And that's not to say I don't like Jalen Tolbert. I do, and I actually have tweeted I I think he and Alec Pierce are two of my favorite deep deep uh, you know wide receiver rookie sleepers. For sure. Alec Pierce is my preferred guy over him for sure still. But I think that you know he does have a shot, to, you know, get in there and contribute and you know have a solid. Uh, role in year one, for sure. Aiden, uh, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I love Tolbert, you know, late in, in drafts. He's right out of the gate. I think they got two matchups against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Those are going to be shootouts. They're going to be high scoring, lots of passing volume. He does have a lot of target competition. C.D. Lamb's the clear wide receiver one. Schultz is awesome. As Luke said, Gallup will have some sort of role when he gets back. Won't be 100%. Uh, but the good news is there is a lot of passing volume in this offense, and there's a lot of scoring to make up for that. Um, I don't think Tolbert will lead you know, all rookies in first downs. Obviously, this year, I just think there's more talented receivers, some guys with a little less target competition. But I don't mind getting some late shares and drafts at all. I've been scooping them up to round out my wide receiver rooms uh, in some mock drafts this year. I think he's a good talent in a great offense. I totally agree with that. Dustin, thank you so much for the question. All right, well, Greg just requested to, to speak here. and I'm not going to end the show with the guy who has a question. So, Greg. Go ahead, man. What do you got for us tonight? How you doing? Happy Friday. You are muted, Greg, if you're trying to speak. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm doing... Oh, you're good, man. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I just... I saw it was fantasy football, so I figured I'd pop in and see what's going on, and you guys are ending Absolutely, already? Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the show is... It's called uh, Fantasy Football Radio Hour. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, first and foremost, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, a lot of people uh, are in here listening. We've, we've been doing the show uh, every day this week, 7 p.m. Eastern time every night for an hour, exactly until 8 o'clock. But we're going a little over tonight because we had some extra questions, which I have no problem with. I don't have anything to do until 9 o'clock. So if you had a fantasy football question, uh, let it rip, man. But if not, and you're just coming in here to say what's up, that's totally fine. I'd like to know if anybody that ha- – what's the experience level here? Uh, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty experienced. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Is anybody drafting Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, or Derrick Henry this year? Are we yes. drafting them in general, or sorry? Well, what? you got to draft them pretty early. They're all first round picks. Of course, Is anybody yes. drafting them? Not a ton. How about uh, Cooper Cup? I'm yeah. drafting a lot of Cooper Cup in round one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so everybody that's drafting those four players in round one is doing something. Bob Harris told me. 20 years ago, never do. You're chasing last year's stats. Uh, Cooper so, Cup Greg, will I have totally a good understand. year. I don't mean to cut you off, Greg, but the one player that stuck out to me that doesn't really feel like chasing last year to me is Najee Harris. Personally, Najee. I, I totally understand Cooper Cup. I totally understand Jonathan Taylor, right? Uh, especially Jonathan Taylor, actually, because he was one of the weaker RB1s uh, in fantasy football history, right? But Najee Harris uh, has a very secure workload that's going to be pretty much the same as last year. And I feel like his efficiency numbers are going to increase in an offense that should be better, hopefully, and an offensive line that should be better. That's the only one I disagree with you on. But sorry, go ahead and continue. How many years have you been playing? About seven. Okay. I started in 1988, started writing in 1995, went into the Fantasy Sports Writers Hall of Fame in 2010. Um you, everybody, everybody seemed to have forgotten the curse of 370, and it just amazes me. Najee Harris and Jonathan Taylor both got over 370 touches last year. 90% of running backs that get over 370 touches fail to perform the next year. 90%. See, okay, so my question is, though, I, I understand totally your point, right? I respect the hell First and foremost, congratulations on the Hall of Fame, man. That is an immaculate achievement. 
and congratulations on your long, successful career. That's an amazing achievement, especially back in the day when fantasy football didn't have as much of a platform as it does in popular media now. So respect the hell out of you for that. You've paved the way for people like myself who are chasing my dream and trying to do exactly what you've done with your career. So I really respect that, man, first and foremost. But I just want to say, I just don't know if, again, I totally understand your point. I just don't see how... With Najee Harris, I'm just going to keep using Najee as an example because I understand Jonathan Taylor's work is a little bit more volatile with Naeem Hines, who's an exceptional uh, backup running back, taking away some of his receiving work. I think his carries are pretty safe, right? But Najee Harris, the the depth behind him is razor thin, right? You know, you have Benny Snell as his RB2. Um, Uh I actually saw a quote from Najee today saying that he's prepared to carry a huge workload. Are you concerned about injury, Greg? Because I feel like if Najee Harris is healthy, I feel like he projects to be a very safe top 10 draft pick this season. Yeah, a lot of people thought about that, about Christian McCaffrey two years ago and about uh, Derrick Henry last year. And over the last, since 2012, 10 running backs have hit 370 plus touches. Okay, so you're more concerned about injury interfering with the carries, no. not exactly the team, no. right? No, I'm not. No, okay. I'm, injuries happen about half the time. But Le'Veon Bell sat out for a year after getting 370. The curse isn't really care how the production goes down, just that it does 90% of the time. And in fantasy, if you can predict something 60% of the time and be right, you're an expert because that's about the best you can do. This is a, everybody thinks the curse is stupid because 369, what's the difference between 369 touches and 370? Well, anything under 370, you know, 360 to 370 is probably about 50% drop in performance, but not necessarily. To get 370 touches, it used to be carries, by the way, when the theory was first propagated by Aaron Schatz and then followed up by uh, Tristan Cockcroft of ESPN. Gary Davenport of Football Diehards in 2017 modified it from carries to touches simply because very few running backs get 370 touches. Right. I mean, carries anymore. Uh, Derrick Henry did. So the problem is... Yeah, I, I just looked, 378 carries last season. Yeah. The problem is that um, all these hits are cumulative. Uh, and I've heard the argument... Absolutely. For sure. I've heard I've heard the argument that uh, well you know what's the difference between three sixty eight and three seventy I don't know it seems stupid to me but when you go back when ten ten players all lose points fantasy points the year after getting three seventy and only one of them is what I would consider flat in fantasy performance and that's Ezekiel Elliott when he was twenty three got over 370, and then the next year he lost 5% of his fantasy points, which any fantasy owners, you got 370 touches, you're having a great year. Yeah, so that's you, great. So if you lose 5%, that's really not bad. Um, but every other... Man, every, that's tough, man. It really is Every tough. other running back lost at least 32%. The average was 65%, and it wasn't always injury. Sometimes it was just less performance. Shady McCoy was just less performance. He actually played one extra game, but he had an over 30% drop in performance. Um, Le'Veon Bell, he didn't play a single game the next year because he held out. Well, had I, mean, nothing Greg, to do with I understand performance. your point with that there, but don't you think that doesn't really count towards the narrative if he didn't even get the chance to play? 
No, because all the curse says. But you just think it's like you just think it's a curse. You're not really. No, care no, about I don't believe in cursing. I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in curses. Oh, I th- okay. I think it's a statistical fact that since 1978, which is a long time ago, that is a very long time, Greg. Yes, every running back that got over 370 carries at first, but now touches, 90 percent of them suffered catastrophic drops in performance. Now, if if Jonathan Taylor loses 32% of his fantasy points, he's still having a great year because he had an outstanding year last year. Same thing with Cooper Cup, although Cooper Cup doesn't fit the curse because he's a wide receiver. Mm. I, I just don't take wide receivers in the first round, never, because first of all, they're flaky. Even Randy Moss, Look at his touchdowns from year to year. And look at any player, any position other than quarterback that got 20 touchdowns rushing or receiving. What did they do the next year? What I'm expecting from Cup this year is pretty good. I'm expecting 100 receptions, 12 to 1,300 yards, and 8 to 10 touchdowns. That's a good season for a wide receiver. But it's not a good season for the fifth overall pick. Mm, I love that. I love yeah, that. I, sure. I really do, Greg. And as somebody who isn't drafting really much of any of those four guys, maybe for me it's nice reassurance. Uh, but I get what you're saying, that 370-touch threshold, players are bound to regress from that, whether it is because of injury or you know they hold out or guys come in and play a bigger role. Like Naeem Hines will probably eat into more of Jonathan Taylor's receiving work this year. Well, he's going to go down yes. from the touchdown count, too. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. There's yeah. no way he he, re, you know, he, he repeats gets anywhere numbers. near 20 touchdowns. Greg, again. again, I just want to hit the one guy I want to challenge you on this season with the 370 number is Najee Harris. I know. Yeah. Look, just because he, I mean, on the ground, I mean, his touchdown numbers weren't great. I mean, he only had 10 total. For a guy so he's not going to regress. He's not going to regress because of the normal reasons, right? I agree with that. Well, Greg, I also just want to ask real quick. Sorry, before we get to your go point. ahead. Is this regression also? Is this based on end of year total fantasy point regression, or is this based on points per game regression? Because I feel um, like that matters to me. No, it's end of year total because, oh, like, okay. if I, you look I, at Derek I Henry, say, Greg, just real quick, I feel like that's a problem. Why? Because I feel like points per game is more indicative of how the player actually performed. Again, okay, that's so, so you loved how Derrick Henry performed last year. I did. His points per game. Yeah, but if he was on your fantasy team, come week nine, you were screwed. That's correct. Your playoffs, you were screwed because he was a high first-round pick. It, and I also his, think it's kind of impossible to project injury, though, in that way. You know what I mean? Right, but, you, with the volume, though, I get it. It wears down your body, which is what you're trying to say. Well, what I'm trying to say is if you go for Derrick Henry this year, he's two years removed from the big touches, okay? So he may play all year, but if he doesn't, because, again, it's cumulative, and they're talking about giving him 25 to 30 touches a game, which will destroy his career. He'll be done after that. LPG, two years. Uh, go right ahead after Greg is done here. But, but if you're going to draft Derrick Henry, definitely draft Hassan Haskins um, this year. Uh, well, last like year when 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 Harris, when when Harris went when he went down, Henry went down last year. His production was nearly matched by his backups. Um, yards and carries uh, were almost exact, one for one. Touchdowns were half. Instead of ten, he had five. But the problem is that 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 numbers those numbers 
were shared among four backs. Yeah. So that doesn't do you any good. So if you get Naheem Hines, that makes sense. If you're going to draft Taylor, you better get Naheem Hines. If right, you're going to, if well, I, got, I got two points, can I ask you real quick? Sure, go ahead. All right. First point: if you're not if you're not drafting, well, all right. I'm going to start my first point a different way. I think a lot of us in this room and in the fantasy space these days don't go into a draft targeting a player. You target tiers. You target. You take what the draft gives you. You're a little bit more fluid. So. The premise of if you're targeting these players coming in, I think that's kind of out the window. That's definitely more of an old school way of thinking. I think personally, that's tier started. Tier started in the early 2000s. My my <laughs> second point is if you're not targeting those, Greg, I love your level of knowledge, man. That is incredible. I love who, that. Who are you targeting? If you're not targeting those four players in the first round, if you're not even looking at, if you're not even considering them, because okay, so 370 plus. Give me your top 12 for your first round. Okay, so. First of all, you don't have to worry about top 12. You have to worry about players. You know that those players are going to go somewhere in that first round, right? Because there's always people that are going to take them. I'd love to I'm, see your I'm, I'm taking – I don't rank players. I, I take. I would take McCaffrey would be one. I'd take Eckler would be one. Um, hey, Greg, I'm, you're not concerned about Christian McCaffrey's injuries, though, but you're concerned about – Okay, Jared so Henry. think about Christian McCaffrey. Did he have any like, injuries? Uh, Greg, I just want to say, I personally am not concerned about Christian McCaffrey's, but did I'm he, also not concerned about Derek Did Henry. he have any injuries in his first two seasons? Uh, I believe not. He did. He played all 16 games in both seasons. So what happened in his second season? 403 touches. 403 touches. The very next season, he plays three games. The season after that, he plays seven games. I'm thinking three years removed because he's still relatively young. He'll be fine. But if he's not fine, he has a pretty solid backup in Chubba Hubbard. So you can back him up. Uh, yeah, Greg, I'll, I personally believe the backup there is uh, Deontay Foreman. I think it's Foreman. Over Chuba Hubbard. But that's just The me. point remains. Yeah, keep, keep going. Keep going. Okay. Also, I'd never draft a wide receiver in the first round because they're just too flaky. Now, I like John Jefferson. And I like Cooper Cup. I'm projecting good numbers for Cup. I'm projecting 100, 100 receptions, 12, 1,300 yards, and 8 to 10 touchdowns. But right. that's still not a fifth overall type production. I think Mike Evans is probably going to be the top receiver this year. But he's going Wow, you think he could be the wide receiver one this year? I Greg, love Mike huh? Evans. I, I think he could because Gronk's not there. He's 6'4. He's already used a ton in the red zone, and that's only going to improve. No, yeah, I don't mind the pick at all. Greg, I love it. Greg, I want to ask I I want to ask you one thing. So sure. you're injury. you're anti wide receiver in round one, and I typically prefer to draft the running backs as well. But I have a great friend that I'm sure a lot of people in this space know. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. His Twitter handle is YZR underscore fantasy, but his name is Akash. I'm referring to him as Akash. Uh, he's a huge proponent of drafting wide receivers, and he's a he's a fantastic young analytical mind, much much sharper with uh, statistics than myself. And um, he's a huge proponent of wide receivers over running backs and zero RB strategy and team building. Um, yeah. I, and I think he really likes guys like Cooper Cups and the Demar Chases and Justin Jeffersons in the earlier rounds because on a points per game basis. 
oftentimes wide receivers are better than running backs as a whole, right? Like the wide receiver 30 is more valuable than the running back 30. So he prefers to build his team in that structure. So like, what say you to people like him who prefer the running, the wide receivers? I say, look at leagues as a whole, find out, make a friend with somebody at sleeper or somebody at my fantasy league and look at all the leagues across that platform and see how many were won by somebody that did a zero running back strategy. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be many. Cooper Cup won leagues last year because he was taken in the fifth round, not because he was drafted in the first round. First round, regardless of what you take, won't win you your league. It can lose you your league. And I'd say if you don't take running backs in the first round, take one of the top two tight ends. And I love that take, Greg. Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews for you? Only only those two because the drop-off – I mean, I yeah, love Derek Kelsey. Pitts, but new quarterback, and you just don't know how it's going to blend. Uh, Correct. But if you look at back over the last six years, Kelsey's been number one or number two every year. Yep. And the difference – it's a thing called positional scarcity. Mm, and, and people don't understand – the concept of positional scarcity. I love that point, love Greg. It, positional it, scarcity it. and, you know, weekly and that's matchup why, advantages is so important. And yeah. that's why you go running back and tight end in the first round. There are probably 24 running backs that will give you decent, consistent numbers. Then there's another 6 to 10 that will give you Kareem Hunt and, and uh, oh, God, what's the other? Oh, Melvin Gordon-type numbers, which – you know, right. or AC Dillon or AC Dillon. Uh, there's there's enough two running back monsters out there that you can probably go 30 deep at running back. The problem is every league I've ever been in starts two running backs and usually has a flex or two where you can play a third running back. Greg, does your strategy change in three wide receiver, two running back leagues? Uh, a little bit, but not much because there's over 100 wide receivers you can use. Every team has three or four wide receivers that are going to get you decent points. My strategy changes in super flex leagues, like Scott oh, Fishbowl. Of, of course. Like Scott Fishbowl. You've got to go quarterback, quarterback in super flex. And in Scott's league this year, I went with uh, oh, who are mine? Stafford was my second. Oh, Mahomes and Stafford. And I went with Brady and Stafford. I totally agree with you. The league I'm in, um, the first three players off the board were were uh, Taylor, um, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and I think Najee Harris. But it's three running backs. Um, and so with the fourth pick, I took uh, Mahomes, who I think, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks have the potential to be number one. But again, first round pick won't win your league, but it can cost you your league. I think the floor for Mahomes is higher than a lot of quarterbacks. I love that, Greg. I think so, that he's the most talented quarterback in the NFL right now. In a well, uh, yeah, but with running points, you, you got a guy like Lamar Jackson that, that could put up monster numbers. I just don't think he's a great quarterback yet. Uh, I think he's got a ton of talent. Uh, also, when I get running quarterbacks, you know, I go back. It, they get hurt. Now, stationary quarterbacks get hurt too, but the reason Tom Brady rarely gets hurt is because he can release the ball in 2.3 seconds. It's hard to get to him before he throws it. Um, but, you know, if you're sitting there holding the ball, then you're going to get hit, and, and that's dangerous. But, again, I, if you're going super flex, you have, because positional scarcity, 
There's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, probably only 24 that you really want. And, and something that I've noticed, a lot of people nowadays don't look at bye weeks. They don't pay attention. No, it slips under the radar. Yeah, but if you're going into Scott Fish where you've got to have three quarterbacks. You have to have three. You, well, have you, have, you three. have to have two. You have to have two, but and you Greg, really the need to have The biggest thing that I three. noticed was bye weeks in Scott Fishbowl this season was that Kyler Murray's first – well, not first bye week. His bye week is during the first round of the Scott Fishbowl playoffs. Yeah, uh, but that's okay if you got two other good quarterbacks. Can I add yeah, to that? Of course. I'm Can just trying to, to say that. that. Yeah, go ahead, Dustin. Uh, to, so I was listening to a point that Scott Fish was making in uh, a rule and scoring setting this year is that if you have a player in the playoffs um, in Scott Fishbowl, the le- the season average of points for that player is given to that player for that week. Oh, oh really? Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, see, I know Scott from a long time ago, but I didn't know that either. I'm I'm probably only in Scott Fishbowl because of what I did up to 2015 because in 2016 I was getting ready for retirement for my regular job. We were going to go overseas. And so I quit watching football. I haven't watched a full game in five years of the NFL. Wow. I've watched a lot of college. Wait, um, so how is your player knowledge show up to date still? Like, you know, a lot about, uh, Oh, it's not, uh, it's not. No, I it start, is though. Because like, all no, the players I, are saying everything. I, like, well, you're, I started, up, you're up to date. Don't I, I started, I started watching the NFL recaps you know, 45 minutes of the full game. And I started watching whole season. So I watched all of Arizona, all of the you sat down and binge watch an NFL season like it was a show on Netflix? It takes two days because I got a wife that likes to watch TV too. But it takes about two days and I can watch a full season. I got up to uh, Cincinnati and part of Cleveland. Um, And that's why I took Baker Mayfield as my third quarterback. He, his bye week matched for me with with uh, Stafford and, and Mahomes, um, and uh, it was either going to be him or Mac Jones because I think those are two young quarterbacks that have talent that may explode this year. Uh, first of all, Baker's going to be an offense where they want him, which he was not in Cleveland. They didn't want him, and I watched those Cleveland games. That Cleveland offensive line is not good. Chubb, uh, Nick Chubb, and uh, Oh, God, the other one, uh, Kareem Hunt. Those guys were getting hit in the backfield like Barry Sanders used to get hit in the backfield, and they would break the initial tackle and run for 10, 12 yards. Now, sure. you don't you don't see every one- or two-yard carry in these recaps, so I can't see that. But I see these, these Browns line, uh, and, you know, two straight uh, fourth-down plays Cleveland had – Fourth and short, inside field goal range, their coaches called a, a play action pass. Now, first of all, play action on a fourth down, that does not Brain give the quarterback call. any time at all. It's a terrible call. But these these offensive tackles were just letting people, they were they were olaying these guys. They were, you know, they were playing like bull bullfighter and just swinging the cape, letting them go by. I tell you, Baker was getting nailed um, by these guys. Now, I know that Pro Football Focus, I think it is, PFF, that does line ratings. I love PFF. I hate their line ratings because they don't grade linemen by watching film and grading what they do on each play. Right. Every, every coach in the NFL 
their staff will watch, break down every single play and determine if the player did his assignment and if he was successful doing his assignment. What they do is they look at yards per carry and they look at, uh, you know, touchdown scored and, and things like sacks allowed, things like that. Baker was pretty good at scrambling out of sacks, but he was constantly throwing under pressure. And that doesn't help. I think in Carolina, he's going to be better because as much as I like Chubb and uh, Hunt, I think Christian McCaffrey is the most talented running back in the NFL. I totally agree with that take, Greg. Okay. I think that's an excellent take. Well, actually, Greg, we have a lot of people who I think want to ask you questions. I've actually received DMs from a couple of people listening saying how much they've loved uh, listening to your content, which is awesome. So, Also, I just want to thank you again for coming up here and dropping some knowledge, man. If you don't mind me asking, where did you work as like a, in the fantasy world for so long? I did work in the fantasy world for so long. I worked in the fantasy world for one year. I had my own website called Kellogg's Comments that was designed solely to give young writers a, a form where they could publish their articles. That's awesome, and, man. And, awesome. Where I, and where I could critique them to try to help them. Um, I, I worked with football guys. Joe Bryant and I started the first Fantasy Experts League. Um, if you just Google Greg Kellogg, Fantasy Sports Business This man bio. just said, Google me. I respect the yeah. hell out of that. Well, I'm not, I love that. I'm not, you know, I wasn't on Twitter until this year when Elon said he was buying Twitter because I'm kind of political too. Um, I joined Twitter again. I had over a thousand followers when I, when I threw away my old account. Right. And, and now I'm, I think 11, 1200 now. So that's great, Greg. Thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, oh, we do have a question. couple of people here who I do think want to ask you questions. So anyone sure. here who has something they want to ask Greg or mention something to Greg, uh, feel free to go ahead here. We'll actually toss it to Mad real quick because he's been raising his hand for the longest time in the world, and we'll, we'll hit somebody else. Go ahead, Mad. Um, so one, one uh, just clarification on the Scott Fishbowl playoff rules. Uh, I don't think that you just get – I. I I don't think you get to plug in a player's average or it would uh, I think that the, the average rule for the playoffs is that every team will take their weekly score for that week of the playoffs and add it to their season average of their seasonal weekly lineup. Um, as so let's say your, your team oh, averages yes. 150 points every single uh, out of all the weeks, the, the, your weekly team averages 150 um, then you're going to go into the playoffs and your score of that week is going to be 150 plus whatever you get that week. So the averages kind of get taken in to uh, soften the bye weeks a little bit, but you can't just plug in a player um, and say, you know, they've gotten me 16 points every week, so I'm going to take that in my RB2 spot because it just uh, – that's that's just uh, – it, it was a little bit unclear when he first put out the rules, but he did clarify them. Thank you for that, bro. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's all. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, uh, Adam, go ahead, man. Hey, bud. Hey, uh, Greg, that was awesome. I'm glad you came in. Uh, enjoyed everything you were talking about. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you is, are you playing in redraft leagues mostly when you employ those strategies? Okay, uh, so I've played in redraft leagues, dynasty leagues, IDP leagues, um, but I was playing in 15 to 20 leagues a year when I was – hot and heavy in this right. this year 
is my first year back. And when I say my player knowledge is not good, it's because I don't have the depth of knowledge you have from watching the game for five years. Um, backups, the, the depth, the wide receivers, those things, I just don't know it. I'm basing a lot of my uh, – because I've never done stat projections because I consider it futile. I, I just uh, – you're never going to be right. So what I so what I look at it, the greatest tool that you folks have now that we never had back in the day is ADP. The absolutely worst, agree yeah. with that. ADP is so valuable. The worst tool that you have today that we didn't have back in the day is ADP. Now <laughs> I'll explain that. Yeah. People get tied up in ADP and think it's the be all end all, and the problem with that is. If you look at a league like Sleeper, they've been drafting for, what, three, four months? Okay. They were having drafts before Gronkowski said he's not playing no more. They were were drafting thinking that that, uh, Deshaun Watson is going to be out at least the whole year, and now it looks like the NFL's offered him 12 weeks. So we, you know, that's – if Deshaun Watson plays, it changes the fantasy perspective of every single player on that offense. Yep. Absolutely. And and defense because they're going to have more time of possession and they're going to be playing from ahead more than they would with Jacoby Brissett. And now Jacoby Brissett may be a fine quarterback, but he's not Deshaun Watson. No. Not okay. So so this news what I would love to see these guys do and I'm putting together a podcasters analysis draft. I don't know if you guys know what Fanex is or what the Fanex analysis draft is. It was the first experts league. Uh, and it came out of the rec.sport.football.fantasy news group. A lot of you guys don't even know what a news group is. But that's where we started. We didn't have a bunch of websites. We, we had a few websites, but we didn't have, you know, ESPN didn't have a fantasy section. CBS Sports right. didn't have a fantasy section. We got our we got our scoring from USA USA Today box scores. Yep. That's how we scored our leagues. So as as the hobby grew, as we got it growing, um, there were more and more tools. Well, when when I got back online this year, I had no idea about Sleeper and about Underdog and uh, these these sites are great to help you plan your draft. You just can't get tied into what the ADP is and think a player is going to fall to you at his ADP value because these values slide up and slide down. If you could take the ADP and say only base ADP on leagues for the last three weeks, that would give you a much better tool. It would, and I think the more that you're into it. I mean, I I play in over 20 leagues. I've been playing for 26 years now. Uh, yeah, so you're with me. You're yeah. an old school guy. Yeah, I've been playing a long time, and you know, you learn a lot of different things. You know, the superflex is something that's new. I mean, it's not new, but not anymore. Well, uh, no. But yeah, it's it changed the game. You know, people have started really valuing quarterbacks appropriately. I love superflex leagues, man. I don't know if I can really. I mean, I play in a lot of one QB leagues still, but I so I such prefer over one quarterback, honestly, because I feel like it's the way it should be. Because you know, I, I very much in real life, there's so much more valuable compared to every other skill position. You know, quarterbacks are that. What I'm trying to say. Yeah, but like you'll never you'll never turn on a game and see two quarterbacks playing for one team. 
Oh, no, no, no. I totally understand that message, Greg. I mean, you know, I think that in fantasy, your traditional one QB league, it's, it feels weird to me to you know, throw guys on the waiver wire, you know, like the two of Tug of Violas and the Kirk Cousins and, you know, guys like that who, you know, are above average or, well, I don't know, too, but Kirk Cousins, like, you know, he's an above average or average NFL starting quarterback. And, he'll you know, be he's drafted. an extremely valuable player in real life. He'll and be drafted weird. on every league this year. You know where he will be. I know, but he shouldn't be. You know what I mean? In a one Why, QB oh, not as a QB1, but you got to have a backup even in a one QB league. Yeah, you can. I, I like to stream off the. Uh, yeah, I personally don't use two in my For the QB2, I'm saying. I, I, you know, I do it a little different. I get a pocket passer and then I get a scrambling quarterback if I'm going to do it in a one quarterback. That's league. an interesting strategy. That, that, that's a very interesting strategy, that, actually. That way I have my safe floor with my pocket passer and I have the high upside on the running one. Yeah, that's smart. That is smart. And the difference on tight ends, if I don't get Andrews or, or uh, Kelsey, mm. then I'm waiting until after the sixth round to take a tight end. And a lot of times I'm getting somebody like Albert O. You know, will he work out? Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. If he doesn't, then on week one, I'm going to hit the waiver wire and get somebody right. else. Right. So, And if it's a best ball league, I'm just going to draft three run-of-the-mill tight ends late in the draft. Yeah, get you a Goddard, Gusecki, and one of them gives you a good week. Well, yeah. Goddard and Gusecki probably are going to go in the first eight rounds. Yeah, they're two. Yeah, six, six yeah. or eight usually. Yeah, but I don't care if the. Here's what we always used to say: You got your first tier, which is two guys. Every year, it's two guys, um, and and then you got your second tier, which is tight end three through say five or six, and wow. those are the guys that are going to get you seven to nine touchdowns. You don't worry about the receptions and the yards because it's too flaky with tight ends. But if you get seven to nine touchdowns, they're going to score pretty good for you. And then you got what I call the mass in the middle. And that's the guys that are going to get 40 to 60 receptions, 400 to 600 yards, and four to six touchdowns. Those guys are a dime a dozen. There's no reason to take one of those guys before the 10th round. By then, totally agree. by then you should have every running back plus one and at least three or four wide receivers. I totally agree with that. All right, guys, I actually have to run. The show went 35 minutes over because I loved hearing what Greg had to say. Greg, it's, it's seriously been a pleasure talking to you, man. You are one of the people who paved the way for people like myself in the industry. I already said this earlier, but means a lot that you know people like you put in the time, put in the hours wrote countless articles, you know, did your thing for so many years um, and, you know, really, you know, carved out a space for fantasy football and the mainstream media and everything. So thank you so much for coming on here. I would love to talk to you more and interact with you more and hopefully, you know, have come on shows like this more often. So thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I'm moving to Houston on Monday. So for the next week or so, I'm going to be off. I've friended everybody that was in here when I came in here or followed, sorry, uh, But anyway, yeah, if you shoot me a DM, if I'm not on the road, I'll be happy to come on. Anytime you want to talk to me, just to talk to me off the air or anything, be happy to do it Um, again. But for the next 10 days or so, I'm going to be pretty tied up. Sounds great, man. I definitely will shoot you some DMs every once in a while for some advice because you have the experience in this industry. I'll give you one piece of advice before I go. Anybody in here that has any hope of becoming professional at this, 
making money at this, uh, the first thing you should do is join the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. Absolutely agree with FSWA.org. They they do annual awards for articles and everything else. And if you go to their website, you can find out about me and you can ask me anything, anytime through Twitter DM. I keep it open. Anybody that sends me a question in Twitter DM, I'll give it. But I don't like to give lineup advice because everybody's league is different. You can't give good, solid advice. Thank you so much for that, Greg. And I, I also agree. I'm a member of the F- uh, FSWA, and I totally uh, agree with what Greg said. If you are a content creator, it's a great uh, me- like place to join up and just become a part of the community like officially. It's really cool. Uh, a lot of ama- amazing uh, alumni there. Greg, thank you again so much. Aiden, also thank you so much for co-hosting me, uh, the, this episode of the Fantasy Football Radio Hour with me. Went way over the usual time limit, but I think it was one of the best episodes we've done, especially once Greg started. So uh, thank Thanks you all so much for listening. We're doing these episodes every single day uh, throughout the entire NFL season and leading up to it. Uh, time varies, but this weekend will be continuing our schedule. We've done every day this weekday. Sorry, this uh, this normal like business days of the week. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be back here again tomorrow night. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Goodbye.